It's time to go all in and all on with CES 2024 registration. The most powerful tech event in the world returns to Las Vegas January 9th through 12th. Curated programming, promising startups, Fortune 500s, meaningful connections. Over the course of four days at CES, you will see it all. And most importantly, you'll be inspired by the technology creating a better tomorrow. Can you and your business afford to miss it? Visit CES.tech to learn more and register today. This is CES Tech Talk. I'm James Kotecki. CES 2024 is January 9th through 12th in Las Vegas, and we are giving you an exclusive look at the future with interviews to get you ready for the world's most powerful tech event. So, how do you feed a growing population on a changing planet? An important question, maybe the most important question? Well, John Deere has an answer, and it includes robotics and AI. The company is driving towards the future with tractors that can drive themselves. So joining me now for an update on the future of farming is Crystal Wells, the manager for tech stack architecture in John Deere's Intelligent Solutions Group. Her team deals with data, digital, electrical systems, embedded precision tech, and vehicle technologies. Crystal, welcome to the show. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. What a cool job. What a cool title you have. This is a really exciting uh, to have you on the show. And it seems like there's so many interesting technical aspects to what you do. Of all those things I just mentioned, do you have a favorite uh, kind of specific angle or aspect? Oh, gosh, that's like asking me to pick my favorite <laughs> child. No, I mean, I think that all of them are just really part of this total uh, solution yeah. to bring technology to the farm. Um, so different days. Uh, data is one of my favorite right at the moment, but there's there's a ton of places that I feel like are really cool new places to dig into. I want to start by grounding, and no pun intended, but like literally grounding listeners and viewers of this show on what it actually means to be working on a farm, to be a farmer today. I think, you know, folks that work in tech, folks that come to CES may not have that experience day to day. It's obviously crucial to everyone's well-being that we have farmers out there doing this work. But can you just snapshot for folks, what's it like to be a farmer here in today? Farmers today face so many different challenges. So just to kind of give you a glimpse into what a farmer might be thinking about, you know, the first thing he's probably thinking about is, hey, how can I get more food to the table? Ultimately, that's what farmers are doing, right, is help feeding the world. And we all know that there's a growing population of mouths to feed. And so that's probably the first thing that they're working to solve. And the second thing they have to wake up every day and contend with is the weather. And probably in a way that's a little bit different than we do it day to day, because for them, weather is a huge obstacle in terms of, are they getting enough rain? Are they, um, you know, is it time to harvest the crop? Has it not been warm enough? All of those variations and extreme variability in terms of the weather, as well as things like, hey, what is the variability in their land and their soil conditions? So they're having to contend with a number of very dynamic variables that they have to work through each and every day. And then the final thing that they're trying to work through is labor. So 
in in all sorts of industries, as we know, labor has been a real issue. That is no different in the farming industry. In fact, today there's just about you know two percent of the United States population that um, is in the agricultural industry in farming, and of that population, the average age is 55 years, and farmers mm. work 12 to 18 hours a day, and so. Having that necessary labor and being able to continue to do it, it's not sustainable unless we get to some real technology solutions here. So those are the yeah. kinds of things that farmers wake up to every single day and have to think about. And when you talk about weather, you're talking about a lot of uh, pieces of data. When you're talking about labor, you can look at things like robotics and automation. So it all fits together. It's so it's so clear, um, you know, to me why John Deere is such a has been such a part of CES. Your CEO gave the keynote address in 2023. I believe John Deere has been a part of CES since 2019. And you're talking about needing technical solutions for these problems, and that's all quite clear. And yet. Uh, I, I always get the sense that like some people out there are like, huh, John Deere, you know, what's a tractor company doing or what's a farming company doing at, you know, a tech show? Do you still, do you still, do you still get that reaction despite all the, the technological milestones that you've demonstrated at a place like CES? You know, I think there will always be people out there that may not know that John Deere and our customers are huge technology folks. You know, if I think about history and where farming came from. The original, you know, John Deere himself created the steel plow and that changed the way farming happened. And then technology was reinvented when we changed from horses to an engine, right? And we had the tractor and that was an evolution. So, you know, I, I think if you really take a minute and look back through the history of farming, you'll see that John Deere has always been innovative in trying to bring farmer solutions and farmers have always been innovators in adopting them in order to make them more productive. So uh, hopefully we'll get to a point where people aren't as surprised, but um, I think it's really just the same answer that we've been doing years for years and years, which is technology is going to make us stronger. And not just the history of farming, but if you if you read those like sweeping, grandiose history of humanity books, the first chapter or the first section is usually about, okay, we go from, you know, hunting and gathering to farming, and then we actually improve the way that we farm. And yeah, so much of our ability to succeed as humans on this planet comes down to our food systems. And now it's so cool that John Deere is looking at robotics and AI as the next generations of technologies to further improve that and feed, as you say, a growing population. So uh, talk to us about CES 2024. What are some of the ways that these technologies are going to show up for John Deere at CES? So you named two really big technologies that John Deere spends a lot of time developing that are kind of in our arsenal. So artificial intelligence, we use quite a bit of that on the farm in order to you know, help get the most productivity out of the machine. Here's an example for you. Let's imagine we have a cotton machine, right? Who's really gathering up the cotton in the field in order to make the clothes that you and I get to wear every single day. Well, if we wanna do the best job possible, AI can help us with sensors on that machine to be able to adjust machine settings to be able to do that better than before. And then you talk about the robotics piece of it. And that's also a huge help as we go back to that labor issue. So. You think about that same machine, which is basically a factory on wheels, right? Getting cotton out of that field. One of the most tedious parts of that job is being able to drive those really long straight lines often in the field. And that could be uh, quite cumbersome for our growers. And so 
having the ability with technology to have those machines literally steer themselves with a product that we call AutoTrack is super helpful mm -hmm. to that. So, you know, we're going to continue to build AI and robotic solutions. And what we love to do is show those off at CES. And we love it because yeah. they're real pieces of technology, right? They are uh, absolutely have purpose. So you're going to see AI, you're going to see robotics, and you're going to see them all have real purpose that we're using today to get really food, fuel, fiber, and infrastructure out there into the world. You know, I think if you were to go back to the 60s or 70s or whenever they were making the Jetsons uh, for the first time and talk about robotics and farming, I'm sure somebody, you know, would have thought of or drawn some kind of like humanoid robot out there, like plucking turnips in a field. But what strikes me about some of the solutions that you're talking about is if you were just to, you know, walk up to a field and look out in the field and, and see what was actually going on out there. And you, you know, you might not know that there was a person in the cab or not, or if, or if the person was actually steering the tractor or not. You might not see the AI kind of under the hood that's adjusting those settings. So from an optics perspective, does it kind of does it kind of seem like the farming that maybe we're all used to, but so much of the innovation is actually happening under the hood? Yes, you're exactly right. So, you know, if you take, um, for example, one of our planters or our sprayers, they can have over a hundred controllers on those machines that are all acting in concert to be able to read the surroundings and make adjustments to that machine. So you're absolutely right that a lot of what people see on the outside isn't nearly the same as what's happening on the ground to the machine in order to get that uh, crop in the most productive way pulled off the field. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this may be why people don't necessarily realize the amount of technology that's actually going into farming um, today to the extent that, that some people don't realize it. But I, I am curious the pervasiveness of this because you, uh, John Deere, obviously from what you've said so far and from what I know about the company is so interested in putting these technologies for to practical use and not just demonstrating technology for technology's sake. Um, I believe that was a quote from your CEO or something, that, something along those lines that I've seen, uh, maybe, maybe even at CES. But um, that, that begs the question, though, of how pervasive some of these cutting-edge technologies actually are in the field today. Um, I, you mentioned to me before we started recording that you're coming to us from Iowa. If I drive around Iowa and I see some John Deere equipment in a, the field, in the cornfields of Iowa, how much technology can I assume is actually in that tractor? Or how, how much is that robotics and AI actually pervasive across the user base today? You know, here's a stat that still blows me away. You know, if we look at in John Deere, our operation center, where we're able to see acres of um, how much our farmers are using precision technology to be able to see what they've done on that land, there are 330 million acres farmed with some form of precision technology. So it's a lot more pervasive than you might originally assume. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that we are just very carefully listening to our customers. You know, what are our growers saying are the big challenges that we have today? So, you know, they're using precision technology for labor shortages. You know, they've told us that, which is why we've worked to create that autonomous tillage machine that we showed last year. You know, we're able to start building a place where farmers can take that machine to the field, let it do its operation so that the grower can spend time with its family or focus on other tasks that might need to be happening. And honestly, I feel like that's just the start. We see pervasive technology today, but as we continue to build out technology like autonomous solutions throughout the production system cycle, which is 
which is our ambition, I think that that is just going to continue to grow because it solves the challenges that our customers have today. You talked about listening very carefully to customers. You also talked about, I think the stat you said was that the average farmer in America is, is 55, right? Something like right. that. Mm-hmm. So some, someone who's someone who's getting uh, a little on in years, and that's not the generation that you typically think of as the most you know tech-savvy TikTok folks. Again, I'm just kind of trying to use broad stereotypes so we can bust them apart here. But what I'm getting at is, is it is it is it a specific challenge for John Deere to design technologies and AI and systems in a way that still work within the human workflow of what folks have been used to before this technology rolled out? And then how do you think about rolling that out to an older audience who clearly did not grow up on a farm with all this kind of computerized and, and automated technology? Yeah. Well, first I'd say I'd go back to farmers are some of the most innovative tech forward people that we have out there. And so uh, I think that's part of it. There certainly is an element of everything we design. We work very closely with our growers to understand, hey, how can we mimic things that they're using in their everyday life, right? So when I, yeah. for example, talk about operations center, that's in a web format, that's in a mobile format. And I think no matter what age you are today, most people are pretty good at mm-hmm. being able to pull up their phone and be able to see that. And that's the kind of capability we're giving to our customers is they can pull up their phone and take a look and say, hey, you know, let me just scroll through here and figure out which of my machines might need fuel right now, which ones need uh, proactive maintenance on that. So all of that connectivity yeah. and all of that um, capability is really in a lot of the same ways that you're used to using technology in your other life. They're just using it for their business. Do you see uh, the increase in this kind of user-friendly tech-forward approach as potentially being a way to draw younger people into the profession, people who maybe uh, wouldn't have considered farming before, but if they if they can understand the scope of the challenge and they can understand the level of technology, might actually become more interested in it. It's certainly something that, you know, I personally didn't grow up on a farm and I had no idea the level of technology that went into it. So my degree was in electrical engineering. And so as I started at John Deere, you know, I probably, like many other people, thought, well, what would I do at a company like John Deere, right? Isn't that a purely mechanical type of company? But as you really get into it and understand, hey, what are the challenges that we're facing, you know, and how cool can agriculture be in making a positive impact? It's just one of the coolest mission statements around, honestly. And to be able to take a challenge like food, fuel, and fiber for the entire world and then partner that with hey, how can we use really super cool tech to solve that challenge? I mean, if you're interested yeah. in those spaces, I don't know how you uh, how you stay away from that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, related to that, are there things that you recommend folks who want to go into this field or the fields, literally, in terms of just going into agriculture? Are there things you recommend uh, folks actually study in high school, in college, to prepare for the realities of what it actually means to be on a farm today? Yeah. You know, I think that farmers have a lot of different challenges to contend with. You know, they certainly have to think about the economy. They have to think about the business aspect of what they're doing, what decisions they make. I certainly couldn't tell you exactly what our farmers need to do today because that is where, um, you know, they shine and where we need them to continue to focus. But the agricultural industry as a whole there are a lot of different opportunities. You could study, you know, agronomy, you could study business, but you could also study electrical or software engineering or agricultural engineering because all of those diverse skills are really needed to solve those big challenges. 
I want to dive into the technology a little bit more. You mentioned um, your operations center being available on on mobile devices, and we know that everyone's carrying a mobile device in their pocket, and that has many uh, different uh, functions, potentially as a sensor on a farm. We know that satellites are going overhead and taking aerial imagery, and space-based agriculture um, is uh, a, a real and important contributor to the future of food. So then how do you think about the way that John Deere equipment sits uh, within this overall kind of framework of multiple sensors, multiple pieces of data coming in? How does it con- use that data? And then how does it contribute to that data? Do you see it as this kind of web or, or an overall network? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that if you look at John Deere and what we've done, we have 500,000 machines connected today, and we have ambitions to connect 1.5 million machines. And we're not just doing that once again, because it's cool. It has a ton of really mm-hmm. important purpose. And so we're able to take some things that are happening on the machine with sensors and be or data that we're collecting on that machine and be able to share it with, like you said, either a cellular connection or the satellite connections that we're working on in the future to be able to have that connectivity to be able to um, make farming even more productive. So let me give you a quick example of that. Imagine you've got two combines in the field. So if you're not familiar with combines, right, you've got basically a factory on wheels that is rolling through the field trying to harvest, say, corn through it. And you've got another combine somewhere else in the field that you can't see. We can use the sensors on the machine to see how much grain is in that grain tank on those machines, exactly Mm. where in the machine it is, where in the fields has already been harvested. And that could be passed back and forth, right, with that connectivity and be able to be shared so that in the cab of each of those machines on wheels, right, that we're able to know, hey, this is how much time it's going to take me to finish. This is where the grain truck needs to go next. This is how much I have left before I run into the other guy who's working in this field with me. And so all of that works in concert together when you've got the right sensors, the right logic and the right connectivity to make that job so much easier than it would be otherwise. And just so we're picturing this properly, even though that combine or that, you know, whatever the device or the vehicle is, maybe uh, running at least partially autonomously, does it still make sense for there to be a person in the cab? And can you explain a little bit more about if if the answer is yes, why the answer is yes? You know, our ambitions at John Deere is to continue to make things more and more autonomous, but there are just, there's a lot of different work for each individual aspect of a machine, right? That you have to figure out how to solve that piece. And so, you know, if I use that combine example, one of the things that that machine already does today as an automated task, think of that robotics piece again, is it's able to sense the grain that's coming in and make slight adjustments to the settings on the machine to be able to make sure that what is making it up to the grain tank is uh, the cleanest possible grain that that customer, that grower could, could make happen out of it. But there's still a lot of other pieces that we need to finish automating to get to that full job. And so those are the pieces mm-hmm. we're working on is, hey, how do you make sure that uh, the quality of job right outside of that is still happening? How do you signal headlands and total path planning pieces. So lots of other individual pieces of the total picture to get a machine to be fully autonomous. I mean, really what you're trying to do is make a factory on wheels fully Mm -hmm. autonomous. And so we are after that. It's just going to happen piece by piece. And how much does connectivity uh, play into this? Or I guess what I'm really asking is how much connectivity is really available to folks 
in the field. I don't know if you have a, a number or a data point for this offhand, but you know, obviously if I'm if I'm deep in the field in a rural area, maybe 5G is not available to me, maybe there's not a Wi-Fi connection available to me. So when we talk about connected devices, what's the reality of how connected they actually are or need to be? Are we talking about devices that kind of connect and sync up their data once they get back to a home base? Uh, what's the current situation with that? Connectivity is absolutely vital to what our customers need to do in the field, especially when we talk about uh, more of those precision tech solutions or autonomy solutions. And so, while a good number of our farmers do have that connectivity, we do have some places where we need to plan for intermittent connectivity issues. And so, many times that's exactly what we need to do is say, hey, you know, if in this portion of the field they lose connectivity, we need to store that data so that once they get back to the you know, the barn that they're going to store that machine in, maybe that's when it connects and is able to send up the data that they have. But that's also why, as I yeah. just briefly mentioned before, we're interested in that satellite communications. So we did that request for proposals about a year ago now, and we're still working on that and hope to have a solution in the field sometime in 2024, because it'll help close some of that gap for growers yeah. that really need connectivity and don't have that accessibility today. It sounds like uh, some conversations that you might have with other folks who go to CES, where it's all about integrating different kinds of technologies together and bringing people together to have these kind of collaborative conversations. Speaking of just kind of scope and numbers, do you have a sense of the the scope of the amount of data that you collect? I mean, I don't even know if it really makes sense to define that as far as one huge block, you're going to give me some, you know, kind of tremendous number. But I imagine that the data that you're collecting and the types of data that you're collecting is just astronomical and growing all the time. When we think about data, what we're actually thinking about are insights and right back to what do our growers need to know in order to make their job more efficient or more sustainable. So, you know, yeah. for example, I talked a little bit about the field progress, but our farmers are also interested in what are the work totals, right? Like how much were they able to um, harvest in that particular field and where were they had parts of the field that maybe need a different plan for the following year to, to have an even better growth plan for um, what they were able to do. And so the data that we're collecting is really focused on being able to either in the moment or after the season, be able to show the customer what it, what it is. So we are, Along with that, what we do is we give our customers the ability to share their data. So mm. we're able to connect to over 250 connected software companies because really no farmer farms alone, right? They need the help of mm -hmm. agronomists and other expert partners to make really good business decisions. And so the data that we collect is all in service of being able to make those connections for insights he needs personally or to share it with his trusted yeah. partners to be able to do more with it um, either on the spot or in the future. You mentioned, you know, automating the entire vehicle or the entire factory on wheels, but given all this data, given where the technology is right now, a bit of a blue sky question, but what's a wow moment that you're looking forward to being able to give to a customer? What's the milestone for you that maybe is just out of reach, but it's kind of glittering on the horizon and you're maybe waiting for a few more technical pieces to fall into place and you really hope that sometime in the near future you'll be able to do? Yeah, I'm going to give you two answers because there's two ways I like to think mm -hmm. about this. So one of them is, you know, these are pieces of information about any grower scenario, and each one is really, really unique. And so right now, a farmer has what? 
at most 40 chances in his lifetime to get the most productivity in a super sustainable way um, to, to make that all happen right. But what if, right, as we collect more and more data specific to his scenario and his land and his soil condition, we're able to change that 40 into infinite where he could really start garnering insights mm. out of what he's looking at to be able to, to figure it out in his operations center account and then go apply that in real world. So I'm really excited about that piece of it, of really unlocking things that he hasn't had the opportunity to do before just because he has limited tries. Yeah. The second thing I'm super interested in is just the fidelity of the data. You know, we used to think about things on the field level and now, you know, the acre level. We're getting down by the seed by seed, plant by plant level so that really every single plant has the best opportunity to grow and to provide that food supply that we're looking for. And so that drawing out of the fidelity of data and what we'll be able to do to maximize the productivity and sustainability of what we go do is just very exciting to me. It is so uh, purpose-driven. You can feel that. And I know that John Deere has this phrase, tech with a purpose. Um, is there any, is there, I mean, I feel like you have shared the purpose with us, which is feeding the world and, and uh, making farmers' lives uh, easier and more productive while they do it. But is there anything else that you want to say about the way that John Deere thinks about the purpose of all of this? You know, as I think about what we're trying to do, like you said, feeding the world is a big part of it. But with our other pieces, you know, I talked about our cotton machine. We're also worried about, you know, how do we clothe the world? Sure. We're, we have a construction business. So we are working on, hey, what's necessary for infrastructure, like roads or buildings that might need to be created. And so yeah. all of that is in the purpose of real tech. And why that matters so much to us is we have this intersection of, hey, how do we do all of that? but do it in a sustainable way. And that's the other half of what we're trying to do is, hey, products like our sea and spray technology that is able to navigate in a field and apply herbicide to just a particular weed as opposed to the entire field. I mean, that helps us grow the sustainability of these futures. And nobody cares about that more, um, except maybe John Deere, maybe in partnership with our customers, because ultimately that's what they have to hand down to their next generation is that land. And so, yeah. you know, I'm excited and we're excited to be able to work into a space each and every day where we're able to uh, match up technology for a real purpose and also a real purpose that is sustainable moving forward. When it comes to vehicle electrification, is that something John Deere is also working on? Here's what I think we have with electrification, right? Electrification is just one of the many ways, right, that I think we're going to get to a more sustainable future. And so electrification is a huge part of what John Deere is focused on right now. And to be able to figure out what are the right applications where we can use electrification. Um, on the flip side, I also think biodiesels are another way that we're going to be able to solve that challenge. And so uh, it's another place where that technology is being applied to our machines for sure. And as we come to a close here, speaking about the next generation, I know that you're a big advocate for women in engineering, bringing women into your profession. Um, what does that look like for you uh, generally and at John Deere specifically? Kind of how do you think your industry is doing and what are you working on there? You know, what I do personally in this space is I often work to mentor women, especially more junior women that are coming into the tech space about, you know, here's some of the tips that I think help you succeed in that dynamic environment and the things that yeah. we need to go do. 
you know, and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it is because as we talked about, this is one of the coolest spaces out there. If you want to work in tech, applying that into the agricultural space or the construction space, I mean, what could be a more meaningful mission? It's also one of the toughest challenges though. And so if we don't have a really diverse set of minds working on those, I'm not sure we can get as far as we want to be. So, you know, for me, doing those mentoring activities or reaching out to diverse talent and trying to pull them into that space is all about finding the best possible talent to get us to solve those yeah. really unique, fun challenges that we have here. Well, Crystal Wells, any final thoughts for us as we head towards CES 2024? Well, I think John Deere, you know, we're once again very excited to be part of CES. And, you know, I'm just hoping that throughout today we were able to to share with folks who may not have been as aware how the real purpose yeah. and the real technology all comes together for a more sustainable, productive future. Well, thank you for bringing it all together for us, Crystal Wells of John Deere. Really appreciate you being on the show today. You bet. Thanks for having me. And hey, that's our show for now, but there's always more tech to talk about. So please subscribe to this podcast and you won't miss a moment and you can get even more CES and prepare for Las Vegas at ces.tech. That's ces.tech. Our show is produced by Nicole Vitovich and Mason Manuel, recorded by Andrew Lynn and edited by Third Spoon. I'm James Kotecki, talking tech on CES Tech Talk. Tech Talk.